Hello and welcome back to another episode. This is the Soapy Rao Show, the place you come to to have fun and listen to some great people. Having said that, today I've got an extremely interesting person who's got a very, very interesting take on life and performance and how you can become a better version of yourself. He's an international author, he's an award-winning speaker, and he's an expert in strategic performance. All the way from the Netherlands, joining me today is Mr. Paul Ralkins. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be on the show. Hi. Hi. So, um, you know, the, the weird thing in a time of um, so-called isolation, living in a lockdown, is you kind of turn to the internet, to the, to, to the ether, where you find information. And I came across your talk, which, of course, is gone through... Uh, through the world, it's reached so many people and a lot of people have benefited from it. And I want to talk about that in a bit. But before that, um, you focus a lot and you help companies, you consult with them, you're on the board of companies with performance, with strategy and how to make their uh, programs or whatever they might have need in more efficient and uh, more productive. And in that context, we've just sort of slowly opening up. We're in the month of October, going into November. Around the world, things are slowly easing up. So from your point of view, from your experience, this conversation is so important for everyone at all points in time, right? In, in a competitive environment. But how has the lockdown um, impacted performance and a perception of performance for, let's start with individuals and go into the corporates? Yeah. Well, I see a couple of things with the with the lockdown and also look at it myself. Of course, I was in lockdown myself. Um, the first thing that I see is that um, uh, in the, in the, after the initial shock of the lockdown, typically what happens is that organizations, people, they start to adjust. And so they quickly move, hey, this is not something we can do, bef- we have done before. Uh, but we need to do something. We need to drive strategy. We need to drive strategy execution. So to become creative, let's do things online. Let's train things online. That's simply what I saw mm-hmm. in the uh, reaction there. Yeah. The second thing which I uh, which I saw is that uh, if you want to do things differently initially, uh, you have a lot of success. But at a certain point in time, you see that uh, the performance deteriorates, mm. and especially in the lockdown, typically what you see. Uh, when, when you work online uh, with teams, with an organization, uh, you can drive milestones, you can drive execution. Uh, but the thing is that oftentimes the key decisions are being made in the more human interaction. So that human interaction, yeah. uh, that all of a sudden became very important and that was missing. Mm-hmm. So what I've also seen is that the best people, teams and organizations, what they realize this is missing. So what is it that we can do to introduce this even in an online environment? Uh, to uh, to uh, to work more rapidly. So they looked at issues less from a mechanical point of view, but much more from a human uh, point of view. And that's interesting if you start to look at issues, then uh, then all of a sudden you become creative as well. Uh, I've seen yeah. uh, companies very creative, uh, doing doing very creative things online to keep a connection with uh, with other people. Uh, so so I think that is the next step in uh, in doing this. Understood. Now, so um, when, when you... Um you know, when you look at um, multiple societies who are evaluating uh, multiple individuals and they have various contexts for that, whether it's from a performance of a startup to a performance of an individual within a corporate structure. Um, do you think something like this, such a an event of uh, global scale, which sort of put every, you know, everyone sort of had to sort of stop in their tracks for a second going, what hit us, right? Um, yeah. Do you think the parameters for performance and as a result, the parameters for outcome will change. And do you think will people as individuals appreciate more uh, sort of unique things or maybe the, the, the range of things that drove them earlier, which earlier could have been money or could have been stock options, whatever it could have been. Do you think those incentives or those uh, parameters have changed now? Uh, I think that there is a change. Uh, if you look at uh, what has happened, is that many individuals, many teams, many organizations uh, through the pandemic, they realized they were much less robust than Mm. they initially were. And robustness means that they were very fragile. If there was a shock in the system, all of a sudden you see that that the performance uh, was also deteriorating. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they they thought they were high in performance, but in reality, it was only a glitch, uh, momentary thing. So it, Ah. it, 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 it made them think, what is it that I need to do in order to make this sustainable, have future, uh, future proof? And I think that translates into what is important for an organization. 
um, yeah. and also for the human individual. So it's not a, the momentary performance, even the performance next year or last year, yeah. but this fundamental thinking, what is it that we need to do in order to create an individual, a team or an organization, uh, mm -hmm. which is able to perform on a high level consistently also in the future. And that gives, yeah. gives many openings in thinking. Uh, mm. I'll give you one example. One example. Yeah. Uh, one of my clients, they realized that part of their business was very fragile uh, due to shocks. And the reason was they were not very good at it. Mm. Uh, so what they realized, let's get rid of this business, give it to someone else who's much better in this one. Um, and what is left uh, is much more robust, much stronger. So that's that type of thinking, which was not prevalent a year or two years ago when the uh, the mantra was simply growth. Huh? This was adding to the growth. So that's one example. Right. Do you think that performance can complement sustainability? Like, do you think there's a way in which people can, or rather the, you know, the environment or um, we, we can protect things like mental health and family. And I'm, I'm, it's it's not a business question, but it's just sort of the surrounding yeah. uh, things that happen because you hear people say these things like work-life balance, which in itself doesn't really make too much sense for me because work isn't life. You can't really equate work to life, right? But it's one thing you do in life is work, but there are these various things that how much um, work do you carry home? to improve your performance. Uh, I mean, of course, it's efficiency, the various factors, and you'll be in a better place to answer this. But is it possible to have an individual or a company performing without having negative consequences um, on its environment or the, 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 the situation it is set in? The, the, um, I think it is. And here's the key. The key is, um, especially when you talk about performance, mm -hmm. uh, one of the mistakes here is to think that performance is about more, better, faster, uh, working harder, trying to spin this hamster wheel faster and faster. More, faster. better, faster. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so performance is, is a much more strategic thing. What is it I can do to step out of this hamster wheel, connect the hamster wheel to a little, little mm. electrical engine and make it spin 10 times faster than I can do right. it myself. And um, what I found is that the way to approach this uh, is not to try to add stuff to things, but to get rid of stuff. And I call this right. concept strategic quitting. Mm. And often what you see is that when people, teams and organizations look at performance, look at ways to improve performance, um, it's about getting rid of everything which masks your strength. Yeah. Uh, everything okay. which is not part of your core, part of the thing that you can do. So okay. the ability to, to strategically quit things uh, equals the ability to massively succeed also in a sustainable way in the, in the future. And I think that is the key uh, also to drive a sustainable performance and uh, getting rid of stuff, uh, which is uh, which is in the end making you fragile. So uh, do you think so what are some of the things that you've uh, witnessed companies uh, organizations doing over the past few months to so-called cut the dead branches what what are some of the things that they've got rid of yeah i see that several levels uh, of course it's at the business level uh, hey these are these are parts of the business uh, which 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 are part of growth about low margin takes a lot of energy mm. uh, so so someone else can do that man that's typically one example mm -hmm. but the other example uh, is uh, for example in the teams if you talk about high performance teams uh, also, then uh, a high performance team is a team where uh, each individual will operate at its strength. It's a success environment for each mm. of uh, of the individuals. And what what companies and teams also realize is that sometimes you have teams where you have individuals um, which are uh, which are toxic. And yes, toxic. Yes. What I mean by toxic is they perform, they do the thing that they need to do, but they are detrimental to the energy level of the team. So every yeah. time we have someone in that team, you see oh, people are struggling, and it's it's not it's not a high energy. And um, uh, strategic quitting is asking yourself a fundamental question as a leader: What is it I want to do with toxic people? Mm, yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes the approach is that well, let's 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 try to save them. But what I also found is, hey, wait a second, if I take them out of the team, put them, for instance, somewhere else where they can operate yeah. better, all of a sudden I make my team much more robust, much, yeah, more, yeah. Uh, much more future uh, future proof. And that's also an application of strategic bidding, quitting. Taking out things is often the superior approach yeah. uh, to, uh, to high performance. An example of that one. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing that you take out one or the strongest element in the team but as a result, you now, who's toxic, but as a result, you end up with 
five or how many ever left in the team who aren't as strong, but together make it much better, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you now you mentioned like the key, uh, the core ideas uh, which need to be driven by human interaction. That's something that came through during the lockdown. But as in, in general, do you think that when people are at home, like uh, there's one thing uh, we face in India, which is terrible infrastructure, right? When people are driving to work, they have a lot of traffic, terrible pollution, a lot of you know noise levels. It's just a lot of stress getting to work. And in many cases, they spend a two hour commute going in and a two hour commute coming out. So now when they have to avoid or rather not avoid but when all that was taken away and they had to sit at home and do these calls from the you know being around their family yes of course it was a pandemic but do you think uh have, rather have you observed um people's performance or enthusiasm or some something contributing to that increased um contribution to the company organization the, the, what I see is that um, a lot of people were able to perform and do well in mm. new environment because it had all kind of uh, advantages and eh? for example the traffic time was less yeah uh, people were reporting were much more efficient doing things and uh, doing it myself yeah um, the thing however what is uh, what is uh, what is missing there or what is being introduced with a pandemic with online working mm -hmm. is an additional layer of uncertainty and uh, yeah. uncertainty is something uh, that uh, that masks the strength of individuals and what right. i mean with uncertainty is um, if you work together with human beings we are social creatures um, yeah. It's the it's small stuff, the water cooler conversations, the yeah. subtle body language, uh, which gives your direction in where individuals or teams or even leaders are going. Now, online, all of these clues are missing. And uh, typically what you see is there's a systematic, uh, systematic uncertainty. It creates uncertainty. Right. Now, this is what leaders need to do. They need, first of all, they need to address this. Uh, it's so like scope for misunderstanding, that kind of stuff? Sorry? Like possible scope for misunderstanding, possible yeah. miscommunication, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So it's an important to, to create awareness for leaders, also for team members. Yeah. Uh, hey, there's, this is a situation where we create additional uncertainty noise in the system. Mm. And what is that I can do as an individual to truly focus on getting rid of the noise? And there are right. a couple of things that you can do. Uh, for example, one of the most successful uh, leaders I have seen, most successful leaders, they were very clear very focused on these are the goals as a team and every time the team would come together let's go through the goals where are we do we still agree on the goals is this something you want to do yeah. so it's not assumed that everyone is on board no no it's about uh, constantly reinforcing that message uh, and yeah. the second best practice is uh, every time you connect with someone um, don't start with driving uh, milestones and performance, but start with a simple question. How's your energy level? On a scale of yeah. 1 to 10, how is it right now? And based on the input, based on the feedback, you understand as a leader, where do I need to calibrate? Huh? Uh, if mm. people are low in energy, what is it I need to do to drive them to a high energy? So it's a very mm. important question uh, question that you uh, that you need to ask. And the yeah. third thing which I, uh, I have seen as a best practice uh, is to give an additional focus on quitting stuff what is it that you can do in your work to stop which will release time and the energy and the resources to do different things and often when people talk about quitting stuff strategic quitting stuff it's often the stuff which first of all doesn't contribute much to the overall performance of the company and the second thing it often is something which uh, spends a lot of energy. It's, it, it consumes a lot of energy. It's not fun anyway. So you yeah. raise energy with people if you talk about strategic quitting and huh? quitting stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's a really cool um, concept to, to sort of, you know, use as a filter to look at. You think, what can I get rid of? Which was just there for appearance and not really functioning or contributing to the, you know, the performance of the company. But, you know, one thing I want to ask you, it might not be, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's, there's this big um, trend right now where a lot of people are just going out there, completing their undergraduation, and then just getting an MBA program, getting into the MBA program because they think that. And this is, of course, in India, which uh, is churning out high levels of MBA graduates. But uh, they think that that is going to get them ahead in the game. So I don't know if the question is appropriate, but how much does that... Um, you know, enhance a person's chances or let's say performance compared to someone who doesn't have an MBA, but really sort of 
you know, maybe has a better perspective on how to use things like strategic quitting. And are you, I read something that you put up, how to use common sense, you know? So, <laughs> so how, what would you weigh? Because I think it's very important because common sense sometimes just goes out of the window when you're so worried about which college, what grade, the networking program, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, if you could take that, that would be interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, here's my perspective. I think um, there's a triangle here. And uh, if you look at performance, uh, you talk about uh, you talk about skills, you talk about character, and yeah, strong mm -hmm. mindset and behaviors. That is character for me, but also about relationships. And yeah, that is yeah. that is uh, that is those are three things which typically drive performance. If you look at the value of an MBA, I think the, the biggest value of an MBA is to create relationships. You may not yeah. have created in another way, and that's why you see that the most successful MBAs uh, uh, come from. Uh, they are focused on building relationships and through relationships, uh, you can apply the relationships and, and raise the bar for yourself, your team, your organization. Now, when it comes to skill sets, um, uh, I, I think the value of an MBA is much less. Uh, I yeah. think the skill sets, uh, first of all, uh, can be, uh, can be, uh, uh, can be, can be, um, uh, can be received, can be can be learned in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, in education, I mean, there's a lot of educational stuff around uh, on the YouTube, but even reading books is usually good enough eh, to yeah. uh, to take the next steps there. Uh, so it can be applied in a much faster way. Uh, the other thing is that uh, often in education, the skill sets which you learn might not be applicable to the environment in which you operate. Uh, so yeah. you. Uh, you are taught stuff to improve potential, but not performance. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the two is uh, performance, you see immediately uh, a, a positive impact. A potential is something that might happen in the future. So yeah. I see a lot of MBAs working on potential instead of performance, yeah. which in the end, in an ever-changing environment, might be a waste of time uh, because yeah. the potential <laughs> right now might be very different from five or 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So so that's where I see, I see a limited value and probably common sense is much better. Yeah. And the third one is character. Uh, I believe uh, character is something which is about personal development. Uh, it is something that is uh, not explicitly handled in in an MBA, but yeah. can be handled in real work, and that's where common sense also uh, also pops in. So I believe the value of an MBA can be there, especially in relationships. The character and the skill building uh, perhaps can be done in a very different way, uh, yeah. especially in a changing environment. You know, that's such a important thing to understand because we when uh, the way we approach education is that I've learned this for a certain purpose, you know, so I'm going to apply it, I'm going to get this job, I'm going to get a certain hike because of the certain whatever enhancement in my career. But this thing of adapting the, the ability or the, the the tools you have to, 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 to cope with changing environments um, will take you so much, you know, farther than a sort of rigid way of looking at a job or a rigid way of learning. And that leads me to sort of ask you what your opinion on this is, because I heard and I felt in many ways the education system was uh, kind of revealed to show a lot of gaps in the um, the way things were approached, things were taught, and how things were uh, being, you know, the things which were being taught were really not relevant anymore. Do you think in a similar context, in your opinion on the programs which were sort of designed for people who want to get into the, into business, into, uh, into starting a business, maybe even understanding business or, uh, processes, do you think those programs were were able to adapt or were they also sort of did they did they fall short no doubt there's a there's a, a huge variety there a mix of successful programs and, and less successful programs i think if you look at the characteristics of successful programs is uh, it will it will um uh, open up avenues it will give you access to different ideas different way of thinking different ways of doing it um it triggers curiosity um, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the successful MBA student or the successful student takes this curiosity and becomes a work in progress. Yeah? Right. In other words, if there's a subject which you enjoy, which you like, uh, it's the education which will not be the end of the subject. It's the beginning of your journey. And the trick and is your appetite. to yeah. embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. And, and I always give an example. Uh, if you want to become an expert in your field, then it's very simple. Uh, read the top 50 books in your field. Uh, take a year, mm. read the top 50 books in your field, and you are the expert in your field. 
Yeah. So you will not get it from the MBA, but you will get it from uh, your your own development and the curiosity, which which is part of the development. So yeah. that's where I think that the most successful educational institutes uh, are working on to trigger curiosity, but it's the students which need to bring it to the next level and with their yeah. own education. And that's sort, sort of where the student adds his or her individual experiences, life experiences, and their things that shape uh, them into who they are, and they add that to the education. So it's sort of like an ingredient into making this um, this project, which is going to evolve with time and experience, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And and um, so the applicability of information is is a one on one. It's a very tangible way uh, yeah. of uh, of improving uh, of improving performance. You know, it's such an interesting time. You know, at the beginning, I spoke about the world of the internet, but you also hear a lot of these get-rich-quick um, YouTube videos or tutorials or books on this. But you mentioned something very interesting. I read the top 50 books in that uh, subject, right? But, you know, if someone's listening right now and they really are keen on improving their performance, and of course, uh, it's very individual, um, dependent on individuals, motivation, various other factors. But from your experience, what are some of the, I would say three things that make people, uh, I wouldn't say successful alone, but an overall, uh, an overall package as someone who can really cope and someone who can really uh, last and stand the, uh, sort of the test of time in a corporate environment or maybe um, running a business. What are some of these things which could be, you know, um, business uh, sort of related, but could just be overall life kind of um, traits, which you've noticed working with such people? Uh, I, I think a couple of things will work. Uh, the first of all is the realization that uh, if you talk about performance, it's a combination of two things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about it's about uh, skill and it's about luck, right? So, okay. so these two are the two components of any performance. And um, if you want to be successful in a field, if you want to grow in a field, uh, the trick is to understand which part of success of my success is based on luck, which part is based on skill. Mm -hmm. Now, if you talk about sustainable performance, uh, you always need to move to a place where the impact of your skill is maximized and the impact of luck is minimized. Yeah. Absolutely. And I call yeah. this path yeah. dependency. Uh, for example, uh, if there's a, a posh neighborhood and you mm -hmm. have a dentist and you have a lottery winner, yeah. Uh, living together and what path dependency means is if the dentist could live a thousand lives probably 90 percent of the of lives he or she would be highly successful would live in this yeah. neighborhood yeah. but a lot of you in would only have one path yeah so in yeah. 999 times he or she will not be successful yeah mm. so it doesn't make any sense to want uh, to the ambition to become a lottery winner and that's what yeah. i what i what i see with get rich quick schemes yeah, by yeah. definition yeah. it's a path dependent thing yeah yeah which not might not be uh, 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 totally nonsense but it is yeah. the, the, the probability is very small yeah so i mean the lucky so break the is great but you can't sustain it yeah you can't sustain it yeah. so so uh, it's it's not it's not something that uh, uh, that that you can influence yeah, from that yeah. perspective you know what's so yeah, there's so, one thing yeah um, and and the second thing uh, which i think is important if you talk about high performance uh, people start to um, uh, raise the bar, truly raise the bar, and uh, become yeah. exceptional in the interface of three areas when they do activities. First of all, they are passionate about it. Mm -hmm. The second thing is uh, they 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 have skill in order to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is they create value for other people. And those are the three areas mm -hmm. which drive high-performance individuals. So one of the you would say service all, to others. Is that the third point? Could it be? Yeah, it's a service. Service right. to others means I create value. Right. right. So right. so once you realize, hey, this these are activities. I'm passionate about it. I'm skilled at it, and it creates value for others. What is it I can do more of these? Because this will really set me apart from everything else. This is yeah. where I really, uh, really, uh, really shine. Yeah? So yeah. so that's the second uh, second approach, and the third approach, and and that's the application of power laws. And what a power law means is that small input will have a huge output. Um, small okay. input, huge output. Uh, for example, the 80-20 rule. 20% 20 right. of your uh, effort will result in 80% of your outcomes. Yeah? Yeah. Now, the power laws, uh, what it means is that you need to apply power laws uh, where small differences consistently applied will have a huge impact on your results. Okay. And what it means is if you want to do sustainable performance, uh, you don't have to become twice as good. 
but you only need to become a little bit better at a few things which truly matter in your field, in your expertise, in your environment. And that's how you how you stand apart from anyone else. Right. So if I have to understand that, say, from a, from a, from an athlete's point of view, so if a, if a person wants to become a better tennis player, they, it doesn't mean they have to become four times the athlete and become completely sort of uh, focused on building mass, muscle and this thing, but and become, you know, the sort of biggest version of themselves in that way. But all they have to do is pro- probably work on a little bit more on, say, a, a better swing uh, or a better sort of, um, you know, three, four elements, which helps the game of tennis more specifically, right? Yeah, I did. I'll give you an example of an airline pilot. If you look at an airline pilot uh, crossing the Pacific, um, they, they sit 10 hours in a plane. Um, uh, it's it's maybe twenty minutes or so that they truly add value. Yeah? It's landing, it's lift, it's lifting up, and it's emergencies, yeah. and that's where they need to be aware. That's need to need to be uh, yeah. at their best, right? Yeah. And the rest of the time, they can do automatic pilot really. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to become a better pilot, those are the three things you need to focus on. Right. So, mm-hmm. so this is how you can apply power laws, and this is how you can become better. Now, there's right. a corollary there that uh, focus on does not necessarily mean that you need to add things or try to improve. Mm. Often it needs uh, it means that you need to get rid of the behaviors which mask your strength. Right. Understood. So, so it's not only about building stuff, but about getting rid of things that mask your strength. And I see that often in leaders, very successful leaders, uh, if they want to improve, uh, it's usually no longer about adding additional skills. No, no, no. It's mm-hmm. about um, behaviors and especially getting rid of behaviors which mask their strength. Uh, for example, Very uh, sometimes yeah. you have leaders uh, who uh, who are lousy listeners, right? They yeah. listen to reply instead of listening to understand. If such a leader wants to improve, um, it's not about building new skill sets, but it's simply about stopping to not listen to people. Yeah, getting yeah. rid of that, and that's the behavior. If you focus on that one, this is really how you take the next step. So sometimes uh, performance can be that simple, right? Yeah, I think um, it's 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 quite um, nice to hear it because you know sometimes you get um, you know, and I'm going to talk about something which you you and I have in common uh, because I think you at some point and I at this point. Um, uh, stand-up comedians. So we Ooh. have, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to, you know, you stand up as an example, right? Uh, because I've been at it for about 11 years. And uh, according to uh, maybe outcome, possibly not the most successful comedian, but uh, if you take performance, if that's something which can apply to comedy, you you can understand, uh, you know, in a, in a context of, you know, jokes, um, joke writing, you could talk about uh, things like how many, um, you know, laughs per minute if you want to go specific, but maybe just generally how many, uh, how sustainably funny can you be over a course of time, right? But what I um, realized last year is that a lot of my focus was on the peripheral aspects of stand up, which was the b- business, the marketing. And when I mean that, it's things which um, aren't entirely in my control, like the luck aspect, right? Getting right. a break or getting someone to pick up my special or trying to sell out, um, ab- uh, you know, venues. And that was taking up 90%, which as a result affected the other, which affected the focus, which should have been 90% of the focus should have been on getting better and better and funnier and make, getting more authentic, getting my true sort of self out there. And Instead of that, I was trying to add on things, as you said, you know, add on, wouldn't call it skills alone, but add on things like a social media manager, uh, an agent, a promoter, a thing, as opposed to just saying, none of this is important. Let me just get funny first. That's the skill, as you called it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a, this is a great insight huh? uh, in, in how how you can improve, huh? uh, focus on the things which truly matter yeah. and master those things. Huh? Yeah. Because what happens is, um, there's so much of this competitive, and I'm sure you've you've met other comedians, and some of them are really funny, but some of them have their intentions of just the byproducts, right? They just want to be in it for the limelight, and they don't want to sort of write good material, make people laugh. They just want to say, you know what, I'm going to go and sort of kind of take things, chop them up, make them whatever palatable, but just get really good at my social media game and get funny. You know what I mean? So yeah. I realized that when the lockdown happened. 
I was forced to let go of a way of thinking about stand-up because earlier stand-up was the sole identity I sort of relied on. So if I failed at a show or didn't perform well or didn't get a gig or a corporate client uh, passed me over for some other person or someone else got a Netflix or an Amazon special, that would affect my person as opposed to just saying, okay, you know, another gig will come. So, so this thing, maybe, you know, I've spoken to someone uh, on this podcast earlier about the idea of self-worth, uh, which is related to achievement and ability. But from your, um, your experience, the things you worked with, and maybe using whichever example you find appropriate, how does this, um, how does performance uh, depend or rather not performance alone, but how does someone get out of this trap where they, they, they want to sort of focus on the core, but it takes time to get better as a writer, performer, timing, all these things to find your comedic voice sometimes. And while you're trying to work on all these things, you're distracted by these things like success and fame and, and, and all these uh, opportunities which are just going past you. They're younger comedians or less experienced or in some people, some cases, someone who you think is less funny going ahead in the game. How, how does uh, someone maybe in the state, uh, possibly even me, <laughs> how do you focus on what's important? The, the, um, I think, I think, um, uh, a couple of things, and, and I speak from my personal experience. What what yeah. what, what what helps here? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first thing is uh, is to learn from the best, right? Okay. Uh, especially if you have role models, right? mm-hmm. people who have done it uh, and uh, have reached the level that you want to reach. What is it that you can learn from them? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's one part. But keep in mind uh, that learning means the stuff which is skill, not the luck part, but the skill yeah. part. So which, yeah. which are the skills which are which are learnable? And the second thing which I've seen is uh, uh, learning often happens also from the people who do it wrong. Yeah. So the the negative examples. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I always, whenever I I speak with my daughter, I, I always mention some people are an example, but others are a warning. Right. Yeah. And often we can learn much more from the warnings than from the examples. So that's the second thing uh, that you can apply. And the third thing is uh, that you um, you need to fall in love with your craft. Yeah. Skill, passion, creating value. Falling in love. You need to uh, you need to feel it right. You need to master this. But the thing is that the definition of the craft if you make it very narrow, uh, it puts you in a very narrow box. If you broaden this definition, all of a sudden there might be opportunities which are which are interesting there as well. And and let me give you it from my perspective. I, yeah. I was also trained as a as a stand-up comedian. I I enjoyed doing it, but at a certain point in time, I realized, wait a second, my my craft might not be stand-up comedian, but my craft is much broader. Okay. And then I moved into professional speaking. And the interesting thing is that in professional speaking, I could use the skill set of stand-up comedy and at the same same time using the skill sets, which I'm using now as well, high performance, strategic thinking uh, and uh, and helping helping successful individuals become even more successful. So that is uh, uh, simply need to look at the definition of what success would look like and broaden your horizon where you can apply those skills in different ways. I think that's truly. I think that's really well put. And I think that's amazing because, you know, we're so narrow-minded, as you mentioned, and we're so stuck to the label, right? We want to hold on to this, that I'm I'm a comedian, I'm I'm a stand-up comedian. So you then kind of box yourself into the thing that a stand-up comedian should be uh, seen doing, right? Which is uh, relentlessly hitting open mics with three people in them. Of course, now if you get better at a joke and eventually that leads to somewhere, it helps. But if you're just doing that and calling yourself saying, I'm, I, you know, I'm an authentic comedian and you continuously end up doing the same thing. It's like flogging a dead horse, right? It doesn't really go anywhere. But, and I think that's a really nice thing you said just now, keeping your uh, sort of your, your sights everywhere yet, uh, you know, focusing on a few core strengths is what tends to happen then is you might say, you know what, and this is something that happened to me so I can relate to what you just said. Um, I was like, why? Why are you so hell-bent on this label of comedian and then making it all about how things either did or didn't work towards that particular effort? But you know what? I love speaking and we're doing this right now and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, right? And when I do corporate gigs, I tell them, now let's not um, 
say stand-up comedy performance, let's call it a fun talk. Now there I can talk about my life experience, I can talk about things I've learned, things, uh, jokes I've written, uh, perspectives that I've gained. And as a result, it's not stand-up comedy, but it's people are laughing, people are getting a sort of wholer approach. And I, I'm having fun because I'm not under pressure on a Zoom call trying to make people laugh and half of them are on mute and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. But how does someone even understand that? Because it's, they're so scared of letting go, right? Like say someone is, um, you know, is, is, is a fantastic uh, singer songwriter and they're just, they're just not getting that their skill is good. Their luck is really, really bad. So how did someone like that realize or even attempt to understand what his or her options are? Like how, what is that? Is there a skill in that? Or is there a certain kind of thing you have to be aware of when you're in that state? I think I think it starts with awareness, um, mm -hmm. and the awareness uh, in this case is um, uh, what you need to realize is, especially singer songwriters, uh, uh, some calls are made for shipwreck. Yeah, right. And and what it means is that you can be the best in what you do, but if you operate in an environment where people do not appreciate what you're doing, you cannot be successful, mm -hmm. even if you hone your craft. Um, if you're surrounded by deaf people, you can have the most beautiful voice in the world, but no one will appreciate you. Yeah. That's that's the, the thinking there. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't make any sense to improve your voice, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so you need to realize, hey, is this the is this the um, uh, the the place where people love my work, love my work? Right. And I see that with many professionals, uh, perhaps st stuck in their career, uh, and often it's not about not having the skill sets or the character. They are very good at what they are doing, yeah. but they simply operate in an environment where people simply do not love their work. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the trick for them is not to try to change the environment, but the trick to them for them is to simply go to a different environment where people appreciate what you're doing. Uh, that, okay. is, that, is, that is a very important concept. Can you say environment is a different market? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so go to a different, uh, a different, uh, different place. And once you start thinking about that, uh, the, the ideas uh, may open up. Huh? Mm. Um, because the, the second approach here is uh, not to not to to look at yourself from what you do, mm. but look at yourself uh, from the perspective of how you create value. Right. Yeah? And that's an interesting approach. Um, and I give an example of huh? what you mentioned. You as a standard comedian, I can imagine the way you create value is you make people look at the world in a different way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And this skill set, making people look in a different way, can be applicable in other environments as well. Yeah, uh, which might not be a stand-up comedy, but might be might be might be a different uh, a different setting. Yeah. So yeah. so it expands your horizon. Wait a second, I can use this somewhere else, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's the second one, and I think the third one is uh, that you uh, um, that you need to realize is why you are good. Yeah, so if you're very good at comedian, uh, being a stand-up comedian, very good at songwriting, why are you good? Because if you can codify why you're good, uh, you also know exactly what to do more of in order to improve. Mm. Yeah? That is, I think, a very important thing for people i think including me to understand is you have to understand the the elements that go into making a comedian right whether it's observations whether it's quick on your feet thinking on the go having you know uh, witty sort of uh, statements to make whatever it may be and i think many times you lose focus because you think about the brand i'm a comedian right. so what is that you know what i mean i think yeah exactly caught up in that but you know yours is such an interesting thing you know you went from um you know, a, 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 the, the direction you took from a stand-up comedian, you became a speaker, but you're also a chemical engineer. So did you learn these things just through life, uh, the ideas of performance, efficiency? So how did those come your way? The, the, um, um, the, the, the thing was, I, originally I'm trained as a chemical engineer and mm -hmm. in the first 10 years or so, uh, I did what engineers love to do, which is to solve problems which do not talk back. And that is definitely <laughs> what, what engineers love. Uh, so I was building chemical plants all over the world and running chemical plants. Okay. But at a certain point, I realized, uh, wait a second, what has got me here will no longer get me there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's where my fascination started with high performance. And what is it that uh, successful people, teams, and organizations do differently if they want to achieve big goals with the least amount of effort? So right. that, that moved me in a certain direction, um, which is about 
human performance and organizational performance and team performance. Uh, so, so I became skilled. I, I read a lot. I looked at uh, things. I practiced ideas. And um, very soon I was doing this type of job in a corporate environment, uh, okay. building okay. high-performance culture. So that's, that's how this works. And at the same time, I had a hobby. Uh, I, I love to do theater. I love to do stand-up comedy. I, I did debating a lot uh, when, when I was young. So a couple mm-hmm. of things came together which I could apply uh, to, uh, to help people, teach people, take the next step. Yeah. So that's where, that's where, that's where the, the things, the puzzle uh, was, uh, was made. And at some point I realized, wait a second, I'm using these skills, these skill sets uh, in a very specific way, uh, which makes me uh, successful. And uh, this is how I create value. So this is I, how I have grown. So it, is, it was not a plan. I'm nine years old and this is how my life yeah. looked like. But it's much more very um, uh, pragmatic uh, uh, and, and applying the skills, using the skills that uh, that uh, I uh, I was good at and felt uh, that I I could use and apply, and again yeah. creating value for other people. That was that was the key uh, key element here. You, would you say someone um, like this is probably I, I don't know if it can apply to everyone, but would you recommend a certain like you know some people if you ask them they're like yeah I knew from the age of six that I wanted to be so and so. And some people are like me, I, I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to be like. And for the, for the longest time, I would listen to people. There's, you, you should get into a space where you can talk, where you should get into radio, you should possibly get into event management, you know? Uh, so, so I was very unclear and that would upset me going, how can I not be clear? I'm 28 and, and when I did stumble on stage at an open mic, I was like, well, this doesn't seem easy, but it's exciting, you know? And that, that sort of, then led to the next 11 years of me doing stand-up. But for someone, would you recommend that they have a sole focus or find it or just let uh, life happen? <laughs> the, 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 thing is, the thing is, at a certain point in time, uh, the most successful people, they find a spark. At a certain point in time, it, it, it connects something. They are doing something. It connects to the underbelly, yeah. the solar plexus. Yeah. And, and I guess that's also the story that, that you mentioned, uh, being on stage. Hey, this is something I, I love to do. Um, yeah. And there can be various ways of doing it. Uh, some people, they, they know from their, when they are six years old, I want to be a surgeon and, uh, and they love being a surgeon. That is very yeah. well possible. Um, but I think that's the exception. Uh, usually what I see is that uh, if you expose yourself to testing and trying a lot of things, at a certain point in time, uh, things will appear which will truly connect to you and create a passion. And that's where you need to explore more. Yeah. So. Uh, that, that's what I what I recommend people uh, is especially when you're somewhat younger, uh, try to do a lot of things. Uh, and if you do a lot of things, um, if you test a lot of things, at a certain point in time, you see something appearing, which is truly something that can be your future, and then build on uh, on that future. Don't hesitate to to give it a try, right? Yeah, that's that's such a um, practical approach, but so many times. The way the systems are edu- education systems and all, it's kind of it's 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 almost taking away that risk um you know the the ability to, to kind of say you know what I, i'm gonna sort of burn my fingers in a few places but it it might um make me realize that hey wait a second while doing this there was some particular thing that interested me you know what i mean there's it, there's so many things that can happen as a result of just not um being too focused on succeeding as quickly as possible. Yeah, the thing is, if you're very narrowly focused, you miss opportunities. So mm. if there's, it's important to focus, but also important not to develop a tunnel vision because then your thinking yeah. starts to be myopic. And the other thing is, and that's especially when you see with senior leadership, when senior leadership, they, they, want, to, they want to improve. Um, one other thing they need to realize is you, you cannot improve and look good at the same time. Right. Uh, so so you, yes, you, need to, yes. you need to accept if I grow, if I develop, uh, I will make mistakes uh, and I, yeah. might not, I might not live up to this image of the senior executive who knows everything. And that yeah. is okay. It makes you human. Uh, it makes you human uh, from that perspective. I mean, so it's that's like a band that churns out 25 hits because it's the same template versus that band which is truly lasting 50 years because yeah. they reinvent their music and they improve and they, yeah. they, they do have bad albums, but they're truly great at the end because they did all that, right? And, and I think that's, that's the key here. And also that, 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 that connects to what we discussed earlier. Um, if you want to 
be a robust individual. And so, so not fragile, but a robust individual, mm-hmm. robust team, robust organization. Uh, your ability to test a lot determines uh, your robustness there. Because if you're trying a lot, doing a lot of different things and see what works for you, yeah. you will have options. If you yeah. narrowly focus on one line and all of a sudden this line is closed, you're out of options. And if you have to try different things at that point, you are too late, right? What is the thing you see as a trend today? What is the patterns you're, that are emerging in the 21st century when it comes to, I uh, think, and the reason I bring this up now is, is sort of, I want to lead into your talk about the majority is wrong. Uh, so when it comes to um, the resources we have at our fingertips, literally, um, when it comes to access to information, uh, disbursement of, of ideas, uh, sharing of knowledge, um, are we are we going towards a future where we have a generation of truly unique individuals who are risk-taking, uh, who are uh, willing to sort of fail at uh, for, to improve, or are we settling for a generation of people, a collective identity of mediocrity where people just don't want to put their head above because they might you know, <laughs> might get called out. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think it will be a mixed bag. Um, okay. But but here's the thing, and I think that's an opportunity for the individuals who want to stand apart and not settle for mediocrity, but stand apart from a high performance perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I I connect to innovation, doing things differently. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is if you if you look at innovation, a big myth about innovation is to create the next best thing, the Tesla or the iPhone. Uh, yeah. so that's the next best thing. But ninety nine point nine percent of all innovations. Uh, are not that at all. Yeah? yeah, it's something else. And ninety-nine point nine percent of all innovations, uh, it's about uh, quitting norms in your industry uh, or in your professional field. Uh, every industry, every professional field has certain norms in which they adhere to. Uh, for okay. example, if you if you go to a bank, the norm in a bank is: I take your money, I say thank you very much, I take part of the money, I give it to someone else. That's what a bank does, right? Yeah, norms and standards. Now. Innovation truly happens when you, first of all, realize these are norms and standards in my industry. And the second thing, what is it I can quit uh, in norms and standards, which would truly bring my professional industry to the next level? Okay? Yeah. And, and I always use the example of IKEA. It's an old example, but people recognize this. Yeah. Um, if, 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 for example, if I'm running a furniture shop, yeah. And norm in my industry is to build a furniture for your customers. But at a certain point in time, you say, well, I quit this norm. I let my customers build the furniture it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, you end up with a company like IKEA. And that's something a stand-up comedian would do. Let's have a laugh. Let those guys build it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what does it do? Oh, okay. So so the, the trigger there is uh, is to and, and a couple of couple of things are, are very important. First of all, uh, you need to have deep knowledge about your industry or professional field. Uh, it's yeah. not a YouTube movie, right? You need yeah. to have deep knowledge. You are the expert in that field. The second thing is once you got the expertise, you understand the limitations, the norms and standards in your field. And the third thing is to connect with others, build a relationship of other people in other industries who yeah. can challenge you to break those norms. Right. Uh, for example, imagine I was working at IKEA. I would say, hey, this is a great idea. Let customers build their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I would be talking to someone of Lego. Yeah. yeah. They would tell me exactly, hey, this is the business model we have. Yeah. And we let people <laughs> build yeah. their own toy, yeah. right? And this is how we do it. So um, the ability to look over the world from your own expertise, look at other businesses, other industries, yeah. other expertises, I think that's the critical ability uh, for to drive innovation and to be successful uh, in, yeah. in, uh, in a new world. I think being amongst only your peers all the time, I don't think is always thing because I think that there becomes... I, uh, it becomes either you're a big fish in a small pond or you're just sort of swimming along scared that you're going to get eaten if you kind of break away from the shoal you know what i mean and sure. and this is beautiful like if you are willing to say you you know where, where can and that's the beauty you know when you first um see when i'm going to keep the example of stand up alive for the sake of this conversation is when you first get into stand up you were never a stand up comedian you were a person just doing things whatever it could have been in your case a chemical engineer in my case i was confused after my undergrad i was i was i'd, I'd done a stint in advertising i had done a stint as a copywriter in a tech company and i was i had no idea how to write a joke but then when i got on stage i had to sort of use those influences and those 
um, the, the, the non-comedic community to get my set ready. But then once that happened, I'm only associating with other comedians. And I'm like, why would you do something that? In hindsight, silly, right? You would throw yourself back in the world and say, where else can I get inspiration from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a, a great insight. One of the most successful things um, which, which happen is, is when I run masterminds. And um, mm-hmm. what a mastermind is, those are six to eight individuals. They come from de- very different backgrounds, very different industries. Yeah. They have the ambition to move further. And uh, the other ambition is that they want to help each other. Okay. And a person in the mastermind, for example, you would be an executive in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they have an issue they're dealing with. And they asked the perspective of the different masterminds. And okay. you got a songwriter there. You've got an architect there. You've got a social worker there. And they all have different perspectives, which bring their ideas from their profession to these executives. And this is how they learn. The executive will no longer learn uh, being surrounded by other pharmaceutical executives. That's, yeah. that's not how they learn. Yeah, yeah. And that's, in fact, something which really terrifies me now when uh, you hear of the social media disinformation, misinformation, or whatever it could be, where you are only associating or being shown information from other people who think exactly like you, whether it's political ideology, whether it's gender ideology, whether it's sexual preference. You're you're kind of just having one school of thought uh, being thrown at you, reaffirming that belief system as opposed to challenging that belief system saying, hey, there are other ways of looking at life. And you strengthen your system by looking and as you mentioned, not only the examples, but also the warnings, you know? I think that that uh, that is part of curiosity, and um, uh, one of the tests that I I I, I apply to myself, but also to people, mm-hmm. uh, to see if, they, if what their level of curiosity is uh, when they oppose a certain view. Yeah. Uh, what what I ask them is to uh, to uh, formulate the case of that opposing view the mm-hmm. way that a proponent of the opposing view uh, would formulate this. Right. And if they can make the case, and this is what I would say, and it is a good case, then they have understood also what the other person says. Yeah. But often what they have is a warped vision of the other view, a straw yeah. man, so to say. Yeah. And it, um, uh, it, it, it leads to myopic thinking. It's not Again, truly yeah. engaged in, hey, this is a different way of thinking, different way of seeing things. You know, Gus, for people who haven't watched your talk, uh, could you just, you know, in, in give them a sense of what you meant by the majority is wrong and take us through that. Yeah. Well, what I, the, the, the point, the point I was making, and it's in the context of innovation, the point I was making uh, is that if you look at how we operate as human beings uh, over 95% of our life, we simply run an automatic pilot. Uh, we think that we think, but in reality, uh, we, we, we use heuristics. We, we run in the same circles in the, in our thought. Um, now, uh, what it means is if we face a problem, we we go back to the the old thinking, right? We yeah. do more of the same things or less of the same things. Yeah. And my point is there's only a small group uh, who's aware of this type of thinking and wants to think differently and mm-hmm. apply it to innovation. That's where we what we discussed earlier. Uh, it's about breaking norms, breaking standards in the industry. Hey, how can we do this differently? Yeah. Uh, so my point is if you want to stand apart, uh, it's about managing your own thinking, uh, which makes you a minority. Uh, there's very few people who think do, uh, think like that and apply the thinking to, for example, innovation. And okay. this is how you can create the next step. So in, in my talk, I was, I was giving examples there, but also giving a very practical process how you can do this in a very systematic way for yeah. yourself, for your team, and also for your organization. Yeah, but it's so easy to just hide in the numbers, right? that, um, so what, what are the th- some of the things that contribute to making these individuals ask these questions? Like, why is it being done this way? Is it, is it a um, combination of uh, family, education? Um, is it also to do with cultural context? Is there a certain group of people in the world? And of course, it might get controversial saying this, but are there some people who are just more... Um, in tune to saying, no, I don't like the way th- things are being done or we're approaching this. I'm going to, at the cost of maybe being ostracized or being called a fool, I'm going to take these risks. So, so what are the, some of the elements that go into making these people, uh, because in hindsight, we celebrate them, right? Like amazing what they did. But 
at that moment in time, it's very interesting uh, what um, qualities a person needs to be like this. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. Uh, first of all, um, it's, it's a curiosity. Yeah? Okay. And uh, curiosity uh, means that um, the, the willingness to look over the wall. Right. And the willingness to question things. And why are we doing this? So that's one part. And the second, I think the second component is humility. And humility means uh, understanding the limitations that you have, uh, the awareness in the way you think, uh, the, the thinking patterns which might not work, the fact that you uh, probably do not have all the answers or might not have deep knowledge about a subject. And what happens if you combine uh, curiosity and humility, uh, you, uh, you become aware of your own limitations, but also look to the outside world, what is it that I can learn from others? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so I think one of the biggest myths is uh, those are those are individuals typically who who have their own path, don't work with others. Uh, they, they 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 are living, uh, they are they are working on the beat of their own drums, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but the most successful ones are very much aware of what is going on in their environment and mm. build relationship with others that yeah. can help yeah. them to make the next step. Innovation is not done in isolation. That yeah. is not the case at all. It's, it's uh, especially done in cooperation and collaboration with others. Mm. So that awareness is a very important one. You know, you mentioned uh, just a, a thing or two before we um, wind up today is when you're sitting in, you mentioned that uh, you could have all the skills but you're just in the wrong environment, right? But what if you can't change your environment? Is there something fundamentally wrong with you for not being able to adapt? Or um, is, is there something which, which um, is a middle ground where you can kind of compromise? Because you mentioned these things, curiosity and this humility, but also the ability to collaborate and cooperate. But what if you can't find the right group or the right individuals to, uh, who resonate with or maybe even challenge your way of thinking to bring out that next level of innovation. Yeah, uh, he, here's my, he would be my approach. Uh, set it as a goal. Set it as okay. a goal one year or found a group or I operate in a group and mm. something happens. And once you set it as a goal, uh, all of a sudden you start to become aware of people, ideas and circumstances in your environment, mm. which will help you to achieve your goal. Yeah. And, and from a brain science perspective, the environment doesn't necessarily change, but what changes the way you interact with the environment. So yeah. when people say, I'm stuck, yeah, usually yeah. what it means is I have built filters around me, which yeah. confirm that I am stuck. Yeah? You can break through these filters by setting it as a goal. Okay, so I set it as a goal to be unstuck, to be surrounded by other people, other yeah. environment. And that's the way you can break through those filters. So that's, yeah. my point is there's always something that you can do, uh, but, but you, you need to make a decision to set it as a goal. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I, I'm not a business person. I have no, not, not much of a, an understanding of business practices or a startup. And frankly, it, it doesn't, um, it, it's not something I ever thought I'll be um, doing. But, you know, the things you've mentioned today with performance, um, I was skeptical, right? I'm like, is performance only at the cost of the, or the, at the expense of someone else? But the things you've said, like some of the themes that just popped up, curiosity, humility, skill, luck, the idea of creating value versus just what you do. I think there's such important things that resonate on such a, a fundamental level. So um, I think you know, from on, on behalf of my listeners and for me, I would really like to thank you for putting it across so beautifully and uh, in, in a very simple yet effective way to understand. And um, I'd like to thank you uh, for being on this episode, for sharing your ideas, for doing um, such great work. So uh, thank you, Paul. It, it was a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you really so much. It was really lovely. Thank you. And you, at such short notice, you agreed to do this. And I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so, so if people want to reach out to you, if they want to follow your work, read your books, can you give them um, the links, uh, read out a couple of your um, contacts where they can find you? And I can put it yeah. in the description as well. Yeah, the, the, the couple of ways you can uh, reach out to me, go to my website, www.paulrawkins.com. Um, and on this website, you can uh, subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week you get tips and techniques about high performance. 
Um, uh, you also find a lot of information, blogs, videos about this, this material, and so you can immerse yourself. Uh, always nice to connect on LinkedIn. Paul Ralkins, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect, happy to build, uh, build a network. Uh, my books, they are available on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, and of course, on YouTube, you have uh, you have uh, videos of my TED talks, yes, of but course. also of a couple of personal videos with uh, with tricks and tips uh, on on my YouTube channel. So various way you can connect uh, with me. Brilliant, and um, I hope a lot of people come your way and um, you know and continue the great work and the journey and enjoy the lovely weather you are right now in. Um, I can't pronounce the name of where you're from, but in Maastricht, the Netherlands, right? Yeah. Okay. I let you say it because I'm going to butcher the word. <laughs> Thank Wonderful. you so much, Paul. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.